Today's campaign podcast is sponsored by the Mini MBA series. The Mini MBA series was created by marketing professor Mark Ritson. It's aimed at every marketeer who wants to reach the top of their game. The Mini MBA will help you tackle big challenges, seize big opportunities, perhaps even find a big new job. The Mini MBA is designed to give people the tools, language and confidence they need to tackle big marketing and business challenges. It takes lessons from the world's top business schools and makes them more flexible, more accessible and more affordable. With the Mini MBA, you'll get a great return on your investment in terms of skills, expertise and confidence in your role. To find out more, search for Mark Ritson Mini MBA. Hello and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. I'm Imogen Watson, Work and Inspiration Editor at Campaign. Later in today's podcast, I'll be joined by Sachi and Sachi's Frankie Goodwin, Joe McClintock from Trainline and Leo Burnett's Tom Sussman to talk about the role of advertising amid the UK's ongoing cost of living crisis. But first, campaign reporter Shauna Lewis joins me in the studio to discuss some industry news. Hi. Hello. I fear this campaign podcast is a sign of the times as we'll begin by discussing redundancies. What's been happening this week, Shauna? So this week, the news broke that John Lewis and Partners is considering cutting 11,000 jobs in the next five years across like the group's head office, supermarkets, department stores. That's a lot. Yeah. And then WPP, which employs about 115,000 people, is taking a restructuring hit of 125 million, which will likely mm. to also include some job losses. Yeah, but we, we don't know if they've not confirmed that. Yeah, they've not confirmed anything about that, but mm. it's looking likely, likely. which is... Yeah. yeah, well, it's never nice to hear about people losing their jobs and things. Mm. So. And you also broke some quite shocking news about Channel 4. Yeah, so earlier this week we wrote a story about Zaid Al-Kassab and Dave Cameron departing Channel 4. Zaid is Chief Marketing Officer and Dave is Chief... Pro- well, was Chief Product Officer. They both joined in 2019. In an internal email, Channel 4's Chief Exec, Alex Mahan, said that they will be leaving their roles and the news follows like reports that Channel 4 is preparing to make even more job cuts than Mm. the 250 that were previously announced Mm -hmm. and this is against a kind of decline in the demand for advertising linear Mm -hmm. advertising particular Mm -hmm. um so if we go back to their 2022 like annual report Mm -hmm. um there was an 8% drop in linear broadcast advertising to 778 million and then there was an increase in digital on-demand advertising to 255 million, mm-hmm. which obviously shows that, you know, there is like positivity in there mm-hmm. about like digital revenue and stuff. But mm-hmm. at the moment, it's not fast enough mm-hmm. to like close that gap. At the same time, they announced though that, you know, we reported on those departures. They also announced that they were going to become a digital first publisher. Mm-hmm. So they are moving with audience habits, like, you know, like the move to digital and things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like maybe in a couple of years, you'll see those kind of like job cuts, like kind of reversed. And like, so they're going to become a digital first. Well, the plan is to become a digital first publisher by 2030. Mm-hmm. And it kind of seems like they're following in ITVX's footsteps, although mm-hmm. maybe better not to phrase it like that because they've also had been planning to do this since like 2020 but itvx has you know invested... they've led yeah 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 itvx has kind of led the way a little bit like itv invested in itvx like they invested heavily in digital mm-hmm. um and they've really seen the benefit from it like mm-hmm. although they experienced a drop in their interim result revenue last year 
like the total advertising revenue dropped by 11% between 2022 and 2023. Mm. Their overall group revenue only dropped by 1% because it was bolstered by digital revenue. So it's that same trend of like linear dropping and digital increasing, mm-hmm. but the gap was kind of closer with mm-hmm. ITV. And, you know, like the chief exec, Carolyn McCall, described it as like the worst advertising recession since the 2008 mm. global financial crisis. Mm-hmm. But in the, you know, in the same press conference, she was quite confident about their strategy. Mm-hmm. So there is kind of like, although in parts of it, it seems very strategic move, but sort of heading to some sort of resolve. Yeah, like it's really sad, obviously, but there is a, a positive way forward. Sadly, obviously, these cuts have been part of a wider trend across the industry since 2023. Yeah, so according to the annual IPA agency census, in 2023, ad-line redundancies more than doubled from 2.1% of all staff leaving the role in 2022 to 4.9% in 2023. Which is quite a leap. What did it, the IPA put that down to? So they kind of pointed to high borrowing costs, persistent inflationary pressures, looming recession and a tough trading environment. Mm. So the current state of affairs doesn't bode well for the rest of 2024 as we look forward. And it's likely there'll be a rise of freelance workers as a result. Yeah. So a recent study from Fiverr Pro found that 80% of marketing leaders know marketers who have gone freelance as a result of layoffs or like those return to office policies that we report so much about Mm -hmm. and the study also found that most marketing leaders like 54 percent of them had more freelancers on their staff in 2023 compared to previous years Mm, it's really interesting thank you shauna thanks for joining are you a marketer facing a big challenge or a big opportunity maybe you're moving to a big new job well you need the mini mba i'm mark ritson and I launched the Mini MBA to pack every little slice of valuable learning into a tiny amount of time. It will give you all the tools, all the language, and all the confidence you need to tackle any marketing challenge. That's why we like to say Mini MBA, major ROI. It's hard to remember a time before the cost of living crisis, which has impacted consumer and brand behavior. And while the UK has hit peak inflation and interest rates are coming down, it continues to bite. Reports claim the crisis should ease by the end of 2024, but real wages compared to prices are not expected to return to 2021 levels until 2027. With me to discuss the role of advertising in this ongoing economic climate, I'm delighted to be joined by Frankie Goodwin, Chief Creative Officer at Saatchi & Saatchi London, Joe McIntock, Vice President Brand and Marketing at Trainline, and Tom Sussman, Deputy Chief Strategy Officer at Leo Burnett. Thanks very much for joining me today. Let's start with you, Joe. How is the cost of living crisis impacting spending habits? Have you noticed Trainline customers have been looking for lower prices? So I think when it comes to rail, our job is to always find people low prices it's generally Mm. something that you're not really up for spending a lot more money on it's kind of one of those things you want to get from a to b in the most like fastest most comfortable and and cheapest way possible so i guess we're continuing on the job of of doing that for people i think for us it's about changing you know people's habits and, and clearing away any confusion around excess cost that they might be paying today and unfortunately there are a huge rate of number of rail discounts that are available today that perhaps people don't even know about. Um, So Mm. really for us, it's just about hammering those messages to help people find the best value from what is available out there today and also creating new ways to find it. So in terms of like changing behaviors and what people are looking for, 
not demonstratively no it's something that actually has always been the case but it's just on us every single day in everything we do with regards of our product and our engineering teams and our marketing to convince people there are ways that they can save on rail Mm, yeah I'm turning 31 this year so I'm losing the rail card so okay give you lots of tips (laughs) yes please after after the podcast (laughs) Frankie how have you seen the cost of living crisis impact brand and consumer behavior from your point of view at Sachi's there's a lot of value work streams I can Mm. tell you that it's a much more important metric than potentially it was so yeah no I would say probably every client has a significant value work stream in terms of their comms Mm. Tom have you noticed similar trends at Leo's of course I would imagine everyone in every agency in town is having those same conversations. Mm. Um, Obviously, we're very proud to have a broad selection of clients. I imagine this conversation is happening with all of them, though. So I don't think there's a category that's exempt. I think, obviously, there are some categories like Joe Trainline, where if you're lucky enough to work on an essential service, (laughs) slightly (laughs) different conversations will happen versus whether you work on a discretional purchase or a treat. So McDonald's, for example, is a very different thing. But yeah, it's affecting us across the board. I think, though, it doesn't mean we're shutting down opportunities for creativity or doing right by our customers. So Mm. I don't think those things are put in jeopardy in the way that I've seen them described elsewhere. In fact, hopefully we can be more helpful for our customers than than before. This just focuses the mind a bit. Mm. Could you just build on what you said there about restrictions with creativity? Do you think the cost of living has restricted creativity? Yeah, so I mean, it's not really something that crosses our minds, the idea of there being restrictions on creativity. We start instead really more from what can we do for our customer? So closeness to the customer means it's business as usual for us in a lot of ways. So as long as we're close to them and we work out what they need and then we work out what role our brands can do to crucially help, it's business as usual for opportunities for creativity. Then we'd have to creatively answer those problems. Mm. Um, Yeah, so I'll be honest, it hasn't really crossed my mind that much and whether we're going to suffer restrictions in creativity, it's more making sure we get it right when we're creative. That's the crucial thing, getting it tonally right and being as helpful as possible. And and there's a lot of parallels, I think, with some of the anxieties, but the realities of what happened during COVID as well. I thought mm-hmm. People assumed there'd be restrictions all the way through that, and that's just not what we saw. We saw brands get it right by their customers, and we saw, unfortunately, some brands mm-hmm. didn't. But on the whole, we were all focused on just trying to do the best thing. Uh, for our audience. Yeah, I I think that's absolutely right. Yeah, I I don't think it's about restrictions on creativity because I think you're always looking for, you know, tension Mm. in the work. And if that, there's nothing uncreative about talking about value. I mean, I think some creatives are a little bit allergic to a price point here and there. Mm. And, you know, there's certainly, it's certainly not our favorite thing to think about. But um, I think it is an interesting conversation to have of like, don't be afraid of value and the sell when you're in a conversion mindset and if you're in a very hard conversion mindset then you need to be that anyway but like the the concept of value is a very deep and interesting one and and Mm. very rich in terms of the of the work you can do so so yeah I'm not worried about that I might be a little bit more worried about production budgets than our friends in the planning department but you know Mm. (laughs) yeah that's that's fair enough the role of advertising, I guess, by definition, is essentially to to increase sales if you're to draw it back. So 
is there a sort of moral problem there about encouraging people to spend when a lot of the nation is financially restricted? I don't think there is. I, I, I guess, I guess, like if you're in tune with where your customers are at and what like they need and they want, and ultimately you're delivering it in a sensitive way, I, I think absolutely it's fine to do that. I mean, ultimately, like consumers are still buying. They're still buying discretionary things. They're still buying like you know non-discretionary things. It would just be on the brand and it's the brand's responsibility to like be really connected to what customers are feeling and, and how they how they'll respond to that. I agree with that. I think it's like um, people still need to eat. People still need joy. They, they still need to get to work. And I think it's about what it forces brands to do is justify themselves yeah. in people's minds and lives. That's important. You know, the choice of why you buy a brand versus a known brand or what supermarket you go to is very emotional. And we actually saw some some research in the uh, What the Fuck study that was very powerful about the fact that there are some parents that felt that once the branded stuff goes from the cupboards, kids start to freak out. So it's actually reassuring to have the brands that that they recognize in the cupboards because it says everything's okay even if they are financially struggling so there's there's an interesting role of joy and and relevance and and sort of optimism that that brands play in the day-to-day which is something that came out when we were we were digging into this just picturing kids going like what the fuck (laughs) what the fuck what are these fake jaffa cakes we are we are in trouble i think i definitely was that child i find that quite moving you know Mm. that once you once you see sort of the own brand chocolate bars you're like oh shit mom and dad are my kids were that deeply but interesting research for sure yeah i mean it's a really good insight i i think it's a really important question i think it's a question we have to continue to ask ourselves always you know are we making sure we're providing the good stuff to people rather than just stuff they in just just stuff is it the good stuff Mm. genuinely believe in that I think though most importantly we have to give people credit I think there's a temptation to think of it's us and them it's no we have to give them credit and treat them Mm -hmm. as we'd want to be treated and when we did our well we we constantly are running our pop pulse research what we hear from people is not I'm being pressured to buy things that I don't want and need more. Mm-hmm. I won't buy anything I don't want or need. Like you have to credit people to just, they will shut you out if you try to sell them something they don't want. Mm-hmm. Um, their budgets are non-negotiable. And I think that's really important to know. It's a bit like bad estate agents who say, could you extend your budget on this? And you go, I don't know what you, <laughs> I don't know what you mean. This is all Take the money I have. Card. They're like, <laughs> people are saying the same thing. So I think it's important to see it in that context and, not just like know your, you know, know your audience, but really respect them. Some of this is about like lifestyle choices, right? And I think like, I'll give you an example. So our job is obviously not only to help customers find the best price, the best user experience and all that jazz. We have to like also think about a broader role that we play in the category side, which is we want to get more people out of car and planes into rail because it's a shed load better for the planet, right? And so we've been doing a lot of work on it. We have a platform called I Came By Train, which is about pride and mm. picking, picking the train over, over car and air. But, you know, the biggest barrier is like, well, isn't it easier by car or plane or isn't it cheaper and all of this? And it's our responsibility to give 
customers options and put things in front of them that they might be interested in buying with that context of like hey if they're gonna buy it like you said tom they'll buy it if they don't they 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 won't and so we've done this thing which is really cool called super roots and it's basically it's live in our product now across about one and a half thousand routes in the uk but we've identified across the whole of europe all the routes that are as cheap as flying or driving Mm. or lower and takes um, the same amount of time or less time and Mm. there are thousands of these trust me Mm. we are currently like also not only trying to help customers get that value and obviously you know value to people's cost but it's also time etc but equally try and still promote something that's a lifestyle choice and that's on us It's, it's not on you know making customers choose it or you know demanding they choose different things but finding ways that will that work for them in in a cost of living crisis we've mentioned the word value quite a few times but i've noticed this january there's been quite a lot of ads coming out that have sort of been focusing and pushing value for money um, including mcdonald's um which maxed out on a media site with a cheeky out of home execution to spotlight its saver menu tom can you explain the strategy behind this yeah i mean Really simply, it's the same strategy we've had for eight years Mm. when it comes to save a menu with McDonald's, like getting your money's worth. Inherently, though, it's never been more culturally relevant. Mm. It's about not just the price you pay, but what you get for it. And I think increasingly that's going to be very important for all brands to think about. We know the more we fixate on price, or any brand fixates on price, the more price sensitive we make our customers. So there is going to have to be a delicate balance of building valuable brands, not just value brands for the future. Mm. And, I, and I think luckily McDonald's is set up for that. And our value platform is designed for that. It just so happens that now we can you know, use it to ensure real relevance in the, the environment we're in. Mm. Yeah, it was a really fun out of home. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and obviously, we did a massive post that went above the frame of the poster. Uh, mm. But that's... I guess, a creative way of just bringing to life the platform. Mm. And we're always looking for new ways of doing that. I mean, the temptation is to come up with a new idea. And genuinely, the the success of so many of our platforms, McDonald's, is more about finding new ways into the same idea and Mm. then building those associations for people. Mm. And in January, John Lewis spotlighted its winter sale was succumbed to the sale, which harnessed the voice of people's heads that tells them to make the most of the deals available at the time. Frankie, <laughs> can you talk our listeners through that strategy? So with John Lewis, obviously with the uh, the excitement of Christmas, mm. it was wonderful to have the next brief coming up so close behind and it to be such a sort of different, you know, different insight. So you go from Christmas, which is all about generosity and giving and moments together and traditions and then into what what we thought was quite interesting to get quite selfish Mm. you know to to be able to change that mindset from like you are now you have been through the through the season of giving Mm -hmm. and now with these prices you can actually succumb to the things that you want for yourself and that gave us a really good way to talk to people about the quality of the items and then the, the discounts. And so, yeah, really, really introduce a kind of a, a platform for that work, which I, I think is great. And then we we really doubled down on the sort of the, on the craft behind that mm. as well. So that it's very mm-hmm. much about quality as much as value is is a two-pronged, you know, I'm sure it's multi-pronged, but in terms of, you know, quality and price. Mm. I'm glad you mentioned Christmas there because that's a good segue. This Christmas ad season, it, it felt particularly quite product-led um, it was quite upbeat, 
Would you say there was any learnings and sort of any indication on the approach to take with with ads in this current economic climate? Yeah, it was great to see such a buoyant and joyful suite of Mm. celebratory ads. And I do think it's possibly a reaction to realising that people didn't need a reflection of their troubles Mm. or their worry, their financial stress, and that they, they needed brands to sing songs and through oven gloves and have presents spat at them by big Venus flytraps. I think that was, you know, or Buble. I'm being very, I'm like trying, trying to please everyone here. Very um, democratic. But, you know, I, I think it was, I think it was, a, it was a joyful season and, and, the, and the ads that came out were, I think, in tune with what the public wanted, I think. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, uh, genuinely, I think the biggest learning from Christmas, and you know, we learned it with our own Christmas ads, but just in general, and we learned it from our research platform recently, is we need to care less and help more. Obviously, I've been slightly bombastic there. We obviously need to care deeply, but in terms of how we use our advertising, I think there's mm. been a misconception that we need to spend all our time saying, we care so much, here are the things we know you're going through, and showing mawkish compassion. I think what we need to do is know that stuff, and then answer it with genuine help. And this Christmas, I think people did that with providing a bit of escape and a bit of a laugh and a bit of a smile. And actually that ended up being the most meaningful sort of help we could have given. So like, I couldn't agree more with what Frankie said. And I think across the board, advertisers turned up and really did it well. Like I think there was very little not to like, you know. All the main say offenders, main sort of stars were there. It was nice, nice, nice to see uh, offenders. The, 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 yeah, nice to see the, the carrot back, and you know, and yeah. obviously lovely to see. We're very proud of singing oven gloves, and mm, they did all, very well. Yeah, it was fun, and all the all the Macca's goodness, but it was all coming from the place of how can we give people a bit of a smile? And I, I'm hoping, as an industry, we learn. That's our role is to work out how we can help, not just reflecting what people feel. Mm. To be honest, for me, like it's quite funny because we have a very seasonal business because mm. ultimately people travel at different days and moments of the year. Christmas for us actually really starts in in terms of not production, but actual campaigning in September time because it's around seat releases. That's like you mm. know, people want to get home for the cheapest possible price to see their loved ones or their friends or, or whatever it might be. So for us, it's like less within the moment of Christmas. It's actually, mm. let's get you home for Christmas as, as cheaply as possible and as comfortably as possible. And then actually after Christmas, it's like, right, you're going to go back to work. Sorry about that, guys. But actually, mm. you know, hey, like you're going to start a new year and cash might be tight after like I know it was for me after Christmas spending lots of money Mm. and here's again how you can save so I think like practically not all brands like live in the same space of like gifting and and joy at Christmas actually they also can play a very functional and and practical role uh, for people who are uh, trying to navigate that period. Mm, For sure. As mentioned previously the UK has hit peak inflation and interest rates are coming down do you think people are growing like more confident with their finances? Have you have you noticed the difference? I would say they haven't. I really wanted to end on a, on a high point. <laughs> no, so I, I think we can. But obviously, so we're... What, uh, what we're seeing again, I, I mentioned the Pop Pulse research because it's a, always the front of our minds here. But we know that people aren't. It's, it's a genuine mm. concern. There is genuine mm-hmm. uncertainty still, and like you said, it might be two years before things start to even out. So mm-hmm. it is a concern. But, and I think this is a positive but, or an and, 
positive mm. and that's what a positive vibe is. And, and that doesn't mean it's what's occupying their thoughts all of the time. Mm-hmm. So what we've seen is a shift in attitude from people coping with that and working out how to make ends meet and instead now hoping a bit more, housing is mm. going to get better. So the quant that goes along with our survey suggested that because we had people choose what their, their main feeling was mm. at the, in January this year and 40%, so almost half said hope compared to like 20% saying anxiety or, or mm. other negative emotions. So yeah, I, I think people, we should not imagine that people are feeling great about their finances, but at the same time, we shouldn't imagine that's all they're feeling. There is opportunity for so much more nuance and so many other emotions and, and the reality, daily reality for people is much more hopeful than that. Mm. So I think for me, just on that one, I think it's, um, I don't think it's negatively like fear or, or kind of, negative emotions like that it's actually probably more of kind of like confusion I'll be quite mm. honest mm-hmm. like there's like a, there's a lot going on there's a lot of things that actually people need to contend with from a cost of living perspective and from our point of view it's actually well we kind of need to make it a lot clearer for people to, to figure out how to navigate like how to get a best price or for what they're trying to do and I think what I say, I say this kind of like it is our it is our job permanently to do that, right? But actually, when you've got more and more kind of negative messages out there, or kind of ways to save, or ideas, or you kind of got to find a way to cut through and help people, right? And I think that's where advertising is brilliant and creativity is brilliant because you don't have to be like really boring and functional and like like a robot to help people. You can actually do it in really like cool and interesting and memorable ways. So for me. I think maybe advertising can create also the hope as well, right? It can it can clear away confusion, create positivity around maybe a negative topic. For me, it's about our jobs about con- resolving this confusion and doing it in really fun ways that people um, can can engage with. Mm. Yeah, I don't think people are trust anything in terms of what the you know interest mm. rates coming down or mm-hmm. you know price. It's you know people talking about products getting smaller that's the you know it's like mm. oh it's the same price but wait a minute there's mm-hmm. it's half of the amount mm. of butter in there so I don't I think people feel out of control and they don't even trends going downwards they don't trust they that there won't be another you know another shift or another another facet to this crisis so our role whether whether as brands we can offer some kind of control I mean I think there's an element of reassurance you know it's with a phone contract or with a, a rail ticket that you're not going to move the goalposts mm-hmm. um, in a time where it feels like that's happening a lot. So yeah, I'd love to give you a, an optimistic mm. end. And I think Tom probably nailed it in the sense that w- within anxiety that, you know, financial, it's not the only thing we think about. And we are in our nature as human beings, optimistic people. Mm-hmm. Like we always think things are going to get better. It's sort of how we get through life. <laughs> so, so when you tune into that uh, that mindset, that's the thing to play to. Is that that's where we want to live. Mm-hmm. That's where we want to live in optimistic worlds, and we want to put optimism out into the world. And I do think that's creatively. You know, it's definitely one of my kind of creative principles is to be optimistic because mm-hmm. I, I don't think we serve anyone particularly well by bringing huge amounts of negativity or pessimism. Mm. Oh, it's nice to end on a slightly positive note. And I just pray for the day that cost of living isn't in the common vernacular like COVID was. So there's always, mm. we'll get, we're up through COVID. So we'll get Wild. through this. Um, <laughs> yeah, if we can get through that, we can get through anything. But thank you all for joining. And that was super illuminating. And um, 
We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. That's all we have time for. If you'd like to learn more about what we've been discussing, please visit our website, campaignlive.co.uk, where you'll also find details of our subscriptions. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Campaign Podcast, please follow us, like us, and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. While I have you, I just want to flag some campaign award deadlines. The early bird deadline for the Purpose Awards ends today, so please get your entries in as soon as possible. But you have more time for entries to the Audio and Podcast Advertising Awards, as the late entry deadline is the 8th of Feb, which is the same day as the Campaign Tech Awards early bird deadline. And keep your eyes peeled for early next week for an extra weekly campaign podcast. Big thanks to Haymarket producer Till Owen and studio manager Nav Pal. On behalf of the campaign team, thanks for listening. I hope you'll join us next time. <laughs>